0: God's word is holy and pure, it is infallible, it is the only word of truth whereby we are to know how we are to live and please the Lord. Um, As we prepare to look at God's word, we'll turn to Nehemiah chapter 12, but let's stand and give honor to the word of the Lord as we read God's word together. We'll start at chapter 12, verse 22. Hear the word of the Lord. As for the Levites, the heads of fathers' households were registered in the days of Eliashib, Joyada, Johanan, and Jadua, who were the priests in the reign of Darius the Persian. The sons of Levi, the heads of fathers' households, were registered in the book of the Chronicles up to the days of uh, Jonathan, the son of Eliashib. The heads of the Levites were Hashabiah, Sherabiah, Jeshua, the son of Kadmiel, with the brothers opposite them, to praise and give thanks, as prescribed by David the man of God, division, corresponding to division. Mataniah, Bakbukayah, Obadiah, Meshulam, Talman, and Akub were gatekeepers, keeping watch at the storehouses of the gates. These served in the days of Joachim, the son of Jeshua, the son of Jehazadak, in the days of Nehemiah, the governor, and of Ezra, the priest and scribe. Now at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites from all their places to bring them to Jerusalem so that they might celebrate the dedication with gladness, with hymns of thanksgiving, and with songs to the accompaniment of cymbals, harps, and lyres. So the sons of the singers were assembled from the district around Jerusalem, from the villages of uh, the Netophethites, from Beth Gilgal, from their fields in Giba Asmaveth. For the singers built themselves villages around Jerusalem. The priests and the Levites purified themselves. They also purified the people, the gates, and the wall. Let's pray together. Help us, we ask our blessed Lord, to understand this, your word, and to see how it points to our blessed Lord Jesus, the one who is the, the only one, who can purify us and make us right in in our standing before you, O Father. Bless this your word. May your Holy Spirit work mightily in us as we study and as we hear the preaching of your word. And also help me by your Holy Spirit in the preaching. For we ask these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Modern English has a tendency to diminish the grandeur of certain biblical words. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but much of our modern English has been affected by um, the Bible. I would say a lot of English, especially by the King James Bible, has come in uh, through. Though it, a lot of our vocabulary has come into that through that, but also a lot of various sayings. I've heard it said the same thing that the German language was also shaped in a great deal by Martin Luther's translation of the Bible to, into German. It transformed and, and helped uh, develop a consistency of the German, actually a unity together of that German language. But one word that is found in today's text that I find that has been diminished in its grandeur is the word dedication. Um, people who work hard and they're faithful in their labors, we call them dedicated. If you... Uh, water your plants every day and you you weed well and you you maintain a good garden. You're always planting and doing things. You're a dedicated gardener. But that word dedication here in today's text actually means consecration. It can mean dedication consecrated or given over unto God. So really it should be a word that is used in reference to God. And we'll look more closely at that in a little bit. But why do we have even what we see as a um, pr- preparation for a worship service of dedication. Why do we even have this preparation for such a a worship service? And we see the word thanksgiving in today's text, and, and honestly, these people had a great deal to be thankful to the Lord for. Um, they were in a city, Jerusalem, with its gates broken down in many sections, and their um, their gates and walls broken down. The gates were burned with fire and they were a, basically a laughingstock among many. Um, it was both a reproach unto them, but also something lacking in safety. They had enemies within and enemies without because of this problem. Now, when this construction of the wall began by God's giving them Nehemiah as both wall builder and uh, governor by the favor of God, uh, there was mocking, People mocked them and made fun of them. They said if a, walks, if a fox jumps up on top of the wall, it's going to fall down. Uh, but they continued on building, and they focused on their labors. They were even threatened. Their lives were threatened, but they continued on building, and God delivered them and enabled them and gave them success in having this wall rebuilt and not only that, but Nehemiah helped rebuilding society to a great deal. He helped with eliminating usury and the practices of unlawful slavery among the people. The walls were rebuilt, but also the society again was rebuilt, and worship was invigorated during this time. And there was a great deal of reading of God's law. The people rejoiced over the law of God. They confessed their sins, and there was, you could say, it was a time of revival. As we get to today's text, the main focus of verses 22 um, through the end of the chapter, actually not the end of chapter, to verse 30, is that you are to dedicate yourselves to God. So as we look at 22 through 30, the focus is to be that you are to dedicate yourselves to God. And we'll see this in two main points. You are to give praise and thanks and celebrate, and secondly, you are to dedicate yourselves in Christ. Let's look at this first main point, give praise and thanks and celebrate. Look at verse 24. Verse 24 tells us that the heads of the Levites, along with their Levite brethren opposite them, gathered, why? To praise and give thanks, as prescribed by David, the man of God. Like the Levites during the days of Nehemiah, we ought to learn how to give God thanks and praise by not only the writings, um, but the life of David, the life of David and the Psalms of David. Now, most of us might say, well, David committed heinous sins, and he did. But God, the Holy Spirit, even used David's confession of sins to be some of the most profound and beautiful confessions of sin found throughout the whole of Scripture. Speaking of David, yes, even considering David who did fall into sin, God said to uh, Saul, when he rejected Saul because of his stubbornness and his stubborn disobedience, uh, Samuel, God used Samuel to say that the Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. 1st Samuel 13:14 What made David a man of God, a man after God's own heart? Didn't mean that David was sinless. The only sinless person, the only sinless man who's ever lived and set foot on this earth is the Lord Jesus Christ. But still, what made David a man of God? He had a sincere faith, a sincere faith that produced the fruit of the Holy Spirit. When confronted in his sin, he repented of his sin. He turned from his sin, and he didn't repeat his sin. He had a true, sincere endeavor after, uh, you could say, true obedience, new obedience, as the confession has it. A man of God, also is one who gives thanks and praise to God, as mentioned in verse 24. All of this is what an ideal man should be. Now, what does the secular corrupt world say that a man should be? We mentioned, we talked about this in Sunday school. A true man, according to this corrupt world, is one who pulls himself up by their bootstraps, whatever weird thing that would look like if you actually fell down into a hole. How are you going to pull yourself up from your bootstraps? But that's what the society says you need to do. In other words, you've got to be self-sufficient. you got to be diligent. you got to be bold. you got to be a man's man. Well, um, others would say that a true man, according to some in society, is a, a man that makes sexual conquests with as many women as possible. Uh, having illegitimate kids and being a deadbeat dad and even an absent dad who doesn't provide for his own. They're not there to teach their children in the way that they should go, especially concerning the things of the Lord. But we ought to let God, God, the one who created man and woman, let him define what a man should be, what is defined as a man of God. He is to be a spiritual leader and a provider. He is to be one who worships with his family, who reads the scriptures and prays with his family and leads his family to the house of God. So in your homes, God desires for you husbands uh, and uh, you dads to lead your wife and your kids in reading scripture and giving praise and thanks to the triune God, just as David, the man of God, did here. Now, today's text also mentions celebration. Yes, we give God thanks. Yes, we give God praise. But today, this text is about celebration. Look at verse 27. It says in verse 27, Now at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites from all their places to bring uh, them to Jerusalem so that they might celebrate the dedication with gladness. With hymns of thanksgiving and with songs to the accompaniment of cymbals, harps, and lyres. If you're a Christian, you have great reason to celebrate. Why? Well, Jesus lived for you, He obeyed the law for you, He died for you, He was raised from the dead for you, He ascended to the right hand of the Father to make intercession forever for you. He is that great high priest who makes intercession for you, that you no longer need an earthly priest. He is forever at God's right hand. God has given you His Holy Spirit, His comforter to guide you, to lead you, to help you to understand this, His holy word. He's given you His word a holy, infallible revelation, a true, steadfast guide. He's given you a great hope and a future. Ultimately, the greatest future is that of eternal life and a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Now, we might say, well, those outside the church, they might really know how to party or celebrate. But what is the root of their celebration. Um, some might say, well, let's, let's party and drink and have a great time because tomorrow we'll die. Uh-huh. Um, I think it's more consistent to probably drink and wallow in sadness and listen to some sad country music because that's, that's really more, that's more in line with their, with their eternal destiny if they don't turn and repent in the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you do not, have faith in and through Jesus Christ, you really do not have cause to celebrate. But ultimately, the people of God, through the work of God, as in the days of uh, Nehemiah, they had great cause to celebrate, and we the more so having a greater revelation and understanding of the deliverance that is given in Jesus Christ. Notice here that the celebration in Jerusalem brought people from all around in the surrounding area. Uh, verses uh, 28 through 29 says, So the sons of the singers were assembled uh, from the district around Jerusalem, from the villages of the Netophethites, from uh, Beth Gilgal, and from the fields of uh, Geba, and Amebeeth. Now, For those of you who might drive a good little length to come to church, some of us, I think, some of you drive about 25, 30 minutes. You're not alone. There were others here in today's text that had to travel a great deal in order to come and to worship at Jerusalem. But verse 29 says that even, it says some of them moved closer to the place of worship. It says that the singers uh, had built themselves villages around Jerusalem. So that they could be closer to the house of God. And I think that's a wonderful thing. If you are thankful for what God has done for you, like these people were thankful, giving Him praise and adoration and thanksgiving and celebrating, how then should you live in light of the Holy Gospel? Verse 27 says that we are to dedicate, uh, you are to dedicate yourselves in Christ. That's the second main point. Dedicate yourselves in Christ. So again in here, it describes the events in this chapter as a great day of dedication of the wall of Jerusalem. Now what is a dedication in the first place? We, we even have it in our outline. It's a, After the sermon, we have a prayer of dedication and then we even have a, a hymn or a psalm of dedication after we hear the word of God preached. But what is a dedication? The word here. In Hebrew is something that should be very familiar to you. It's actually Hanukkah. I, I didn't realize that, but the word Hanukkah means dedication or consecration. So what does it mean to dedicate or consecrate? Uh, it means to give, to offer unto God or to commit unto God. So you have a you giving tithes and offerings. We're dedicating them. We're offering them, we're consecrating them unto God for his use, for his purpose. If you have a church building, and maybe God enables a church to build a new building, you have a dedication service, you're dedicating, you're consecrating, you're giving over, you're committing, you're offering up the building for the purpose of God's glory and for his kingdom, for that holy use. And that's what they were doing with the walls of Jerusalem here. Now, under the leadership of Nehemiah and Ezra, uh, it mentions Ezra being here as well, there was a component of this dedication service, I would say, that we don't practice today. Look at verse 30. The priests and the Levites purified themselves. They also purified the people, the gates, and the wall. Now, that practice there is not something that you're going to see me doing. You're not going to see me sprinkling blood or holy water to to purify this building. You're not going to see me or another minister sprinkling blood or holy water to purify you or any component of any sort. However, uh, this was something as a type or a shadow that pointed to the complete, beautiful work of Jesus Christ that was done fully and beautifully through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at Hebrews 1. Keep your place in Nehemiah, but turn to Hebrews 1. This speaks to the beautiful beautiful work of purification through Jesus. Hebrews 1. God after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. And he, in the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature, upholds all things by the word Of his power. When he made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. The highlight here is that Jesus made purification for sins and sat down. The priests of old, they didn't sit down because their work was never finished. And they died and they never lived on. But we have an eternal high priest, Jesus Christ, who once and for all made a purification for sin and sat down because his work was done, his work was complete. Now, according to the New Testament, we have elders, ruling elders, teaching elders, also called pastors, um, deacons, as other ordained officers in the church. But there's no longer the need for a priesthood because Jesus is the final great high priest. Because that ceremonial system, that ceremonial law has all been done away with and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Uh, as your pastor here in this church, I can't purify any one of you. But I can point you to the, the one, the one true God through Jesus Christ, where you can be made pure. It is only the great high priest, Jesus Christ, that can make you pure in God's sight. And he, if you confess your sins and you embrace Jesus Christ by faith, you will be forgiven, you will be washed clean of all your sins, past, present, and future mentioned there in Colossians 1.22 that if you have a steadfast persevering faith in Jesus Christ and in his gospel he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach wow that is a blessed truth pray that God give you such a steadfast persevering faith now, some of you might say, well, I, Kevin, I've done that many years ago. I've been in this church for many years, and I've given my, myself over to the Lord. I've confessed my sin unto the Lord. I know He's forgiven me, but I don't really feel pure because I continue to sin. Maybe you can relate to myself and to the elders when we say that we're still, it still grieves us when we sin. I think that's the nature of a, of a true Christian, to be grieved when we sin. But for true believers who depart from this life, their bodies will remain in their graves waiting for the resurrection. But it says in Hebrews twelve twenty three, it describes their presence in heaven. For, this is for everyone who has died and gone to glory. For everyone who has died and gone to glory, they're, they're made the spirits of the righteous, made perfect. So that's the presence of all those who are true believers who pass into heaven. They are the spirits of the righteous made perfect. What what this means here is that if you are electing Christ and you have faith in Christ, saving faith in Christ, you have been washed clean of not only all sin, you have been washed clean of all propensity to sin. Those who go in glory will no longer be able to sin anymore because they have been made perfect. To me, that's one of the greatest things in heaven to celebrate. That's one of the greatest futures in glory to celebrate is to be made pure and no longer able to sin anymore. In the light of the Holy Gospel of Christ, in the light of all of this purification of sin, And of this great future of being made holy and pure through Christ, Romans 12 tells us how you are to live. You are to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Without a doubt, the best verse in the the New Testament for how you are to consecrate yourselves before the Lord We no longer believe in animal sacrifices because Jesus is the final sacrifice, but we do believe that we ourselves are to be as a living sacrifice before God for the praise of his glory. The next time you meet a Jew, you could tell him, I believe in Hanukkah. I believe in dedication. I believe in consecration. That's what that word means. But it's consecrating ourselves to God through Jesus Christ our Holy Messiah, Jesus, the Holy Messiah. So in light of this Holy Gospel, you are to dedicate your lives as a living sacrifice before God. You are to give Him thanks and you are to celebrate. You have reason to celebrate. You have reason to give thanks and you have reason to give Him praise. He's worthy of your praise and thanksgiving. Now let's, if there's some of you who are gathered here and you don't really have much of a desire to pray to God, to give thanks to God or to worship Him. You need to take a spiritual pulse check because if you have no desire to give Him praise and worship, there's something spiritually wrong with you. Ask God to help you. You, If you believe in the Lord Jesus and you have a devout prayerful, self-examination. It would do you good. It would do you great good. But God calls you also to dedicate yourselves. Dedicate yourselves as a living sacrifice to our triune God. Remember, you're not your own. You have been bought with a price. You're not to live for yourselves, but you are to live for him who died for you, who was raised from the dead for you who bore your sins on the cross. Live for him and not for yourselves. Let's pray together. I ask, blessed Lord, that you would help us to be a thankful people. Help us to be a a people of praise who rejoice rejoice in giving you the praise Help us to be a people who celebrate the wonderful glories of your grace through Jesus our Lord. Help us, we ask, to embrace Jesus Christ with sincere faith as he is offered in the gospel. Turn us away from our sins. Help us to grow in holiness, to truly live as living sacrifices. Help us to be men and women and children of God to devote ourselves to you. For we ask all these things in the blessed name of Jesus our Lord. Amen.